Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, and we will take a look at what Paul has to say. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. This is God's Word. Every word of God proves true. and He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me? Our Father in Heaven, we ask that now that You would come and open our eyes, move in our hearts that we might see Jesus. Lord, I confess tonight that I am more concerned about people liking me and thinking that I'm cool and funny than I am about uh, telling people about You. So I ask that You would change me. And, O Lord, I confess to You tonight that I have my real doubts whether or not You'll work tonight. Whether or not that You'll actually use me to accomplish Your good purposes. So I need You tonight. And I pray for my friends here tonight, Lord, that You would move in their hearts, that You would open them up, that they might hear of the lavish love and grace that comes to sinners in the person and work of Jesus. Lord, would You do this tonight, we pray. It's in Your name. Amen. Well, I don't know how many of you know this about me, but I have an addiction. Uh, It is all things McAllister's. Uh, if you eat lunch with me, nine times out of ten, I'm probably taking you to McAllister's. So if you actually want to eat at McAllister's, call me and I'll, I'll take you out to lunch. But um, I, there's a story about McAllister's that I think is very, very helpful as we look at tonight's text. Um, before we moved here, my wife and I lived in St. Louis. And in St. Louis, there is a dearth of a sweet tea. Now, tea is there. But there really isn't what, you know, folks in the South know as sweet tea. I'm talking about the stuff that's brewed and then cups of just raw sugar are poured into that hot mix, stirred up, you know, and then the nectar just flows into your mouth, okay? I'm talking about that sort of sweet tea. Now, while I was living in St. Louis, the way that you had sweet tea, of course, is probably the way that some of you sweeten it is you, if you want it, you have to put sweetener in it. Now, here's the thing. Um, when I moved back, when he moved here to Texas, uh, 
And I saw McAllister's. I thought, this is wonderful because they have wonderful sweet tea. And so I went in and I, I decided I wanted tea to drink. This is the very first time, very first time that I'd eaten McAllister's back in Texas. And I said, you know what? I guess I could get the unsweet kind. And, uh, you know, because I've been drinking for a while. I've just been drinking unsweet tea. And, and then I could put some sweetener in if I wanted. But you know what I did? I didn't do any of that. I went straight for the goodies, man. So I got the sweet tea, and it was amazing. And guess what's happened? Every single time, I'm not kidding you, every single time I have gone back to the McAllister's, which is probably at least 100 times since I've been here, I always get sweet tea. Every Not water, not Coke, not lemonade, sweet tea. And do you know what has happened? I have wanted unsweet tea less and less and less. You see, here's what's happening. I want to suggest to you that what was happening with my taste buds is what Paul is talking about in this text. Here's what I mean. As I began to drink sweet tea, it began to change me. I wanted unsweet tea less and less. My desires for it faded. And my desire for sweet tea was only enhanced. Such that now I'm an addict. Why do I share this with you? Because I want you to think about it like this. That in my heart, humorously, are two competing things. The love for sweet tea and the love for unsweet tea. And what has happened since being in Texas has been this. One has grown infinitely more and the other one has been worn out to absolute oblivion to doesn't even exist anymore. I love the thing because I have tasted it. I have taken it in. I have done business with it, so to speak. Okay, end of analogy. Tonight, Paul is going to say that what went on in my taste buds goes, in an all, goes on in all of our hearts. That there are two competing realities. The desires for which suffocate the other. And that matters everything to you and to me if you're a Christian tonight. What am I talking about? Well, we're going to look tonight at the deep-seated realities of our hearts and we're at the outline tonight is not on your page because it's going to be really, really simple tonight. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that there are two desires in the heart of every person. Actually, there's two desires in the heart of every Christian. I need to correct myself. Tonight, we're going to look at what they are and what they produce. And then I want to spend a little bit of time spelling out some implications, spelling out some so what, spelling out some why this matters. So it's real simple tonight. What are they? What do they produce? And why does it matter? Does that make sense? So tonight, let's take a look. What are they? What is going on inside of our hearts that Paul is talking about? You remember that we've talked about this idea of freedom all semester long. And Paul, last week in our text, he has said, look, you have been set free if you are in Jesus. And what that freedom looks like is, is a freedom from yourself a freedom apart from yourself to go and love and to give your life away for others. 
that that consists of real, true Christian freedom. Tonight, he is saying this, that if you want to look what freedom looks like, it comes in this phrase called walking by the Spirit. So that's what we're going to look at all day, to, all night tonight in our next few minutes. So let's take a look. What does this mean, walking by the Spirit? Well, those two competing things, I'm coming back to Spirit, hang on, are flesh and Spirit. I'm going to start with flesh. Look at verse 16. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So they're held in contrast. Verse 17 makes that more pointedly. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So, what are they? Flesh and Spirit. Let's start with flesh. Now, what flesh isn't in this text is usually when we think of the word flesh we think of skin and bones we think of muscles and tendons we think of the matter of our bodies we think of our epidermis you probably remember that from fifth grade your epidermis is showing that's not what paul is talking about y'all remember that right um that's not what paul is talking he's talking about something entirely different he is saying that flesh refers not to something physical but something deeply spiritual at the level of the heart. And flesh is this. It is that part of our nature that is bent on self. It is that part of us that that is oriented away from God and toward sin. It is the thing that drives you to make much of yourself. It is the cancer of your heart that brings about even your ruin. Your ruin is what it talks about. You see, it is the thing that for the entirety of your Christian life that is being absolutely, utterly remade as well. Why do I share this with you? What is the flesh? Let's think about it like this. Have you ever done something? This is dumb. I shouldn't even say have you ever. You know when you do something that you regret doing? If you're a Christian, that's called the flesh. That's what that's called. It's that part of you that does something that's against the way that God would have you live. Flesh. Secondly, what is spirit? Well, it isn't, the spirit isn't a whim. It isn't magic. Okay? When it talks about the spirit, it's not talking about a gut feeling that you kind of have. When it talks about the Spirit, Paul is talking about the third person of the Trinity. It is God Himself who has come into your life and taken up residence. It is God Himself. And what He is saying is that both of these entities, these principles, these things reside in us, in our heart. Now here's the point I want to make. That both of these principles have desires. They long for something. They literally want something. Think about it like this. Illustration. A friend of mine when I was in college, her name was Leanne Odell. Leanne had a niece. Her name was Gracie. Gracie is two and a half years old. She had red hair. For those of you that had red hair, I don't know what that means, but hang on just a second. Gracie was riding home from daycare, two and a half years old. She's riding in the back in her mom's mommy van, and she sees the golden arches as they drive by, and she says, Mommy, Mommy, I want McDonald's. Mom says, No, Gracie, 
We're not having McDonald's tonight. We're going to eat when Daddy gets home. That's what we're having for dinner. I'm sorry. She says, Mommy, I want McDonald's. She says, Gracie, sorry. We're not having it tonight. As she is driving, Mom keeps driving, a shoe comes up over the back seat. It's Gracie's. Mom doesn't think anything about it. Keeps driving. Within about two or three minutes, the other shoe comes flying over and just sort of hits her in the head and rolls down as she's driving. And listen, mom pulls over the side of the road, does one of these. I'm sure that you got them when you were kids. One of these numbers. And um, she looks Gracie in the eye and says, and before she can say anything, Gracie looks at her dead on and says, what, you want a piece of me? And her mother said, yes, ma'am, I do. Now, much like Gracie wants McDonald's, and she doesn't want to wait when you get home, we in our hearts, both the flesh and the Spirit, long for things. Have you noticed yet I have not told you what the Spirit longs for? The Spirit longs and lusts after Jesus If you were to go to the book of John, chapter 16, 14, you would hear this of the Spirit out of Jesus' own mouth. He says, The Spirit will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. Here is what the Holy Spirit does. It takes everything that is wonderful and beautiful about Jesus and the way that He has lived His life, and He literally reveals it and opens it up to you. The whole role of the Holy Spirit is to say, don't look at me, look at Jesus. Because He is so wonderful and He is so beautiful. He is the thing that I long after. And that is what it means when the Spirit lusts after something. After it desires something. It is after Jesus. Now, why is that so important? I've talked about what they are. Let's now move quickly into what they produce. Okay? Second main point that I'm driving home here. If you'll notice in verse 19, the flesh, it said, produces these works of the flesh. Look with me. It says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, so on and so forth. Envy and drunkenness and orgies and so on. And he says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, here's what's going on. Much like a tidal wave happens. Y'all know tidal wave, a tsunami. What happens? The, earth, the ocean floor shifts something hundreds of feet below the earth. Below the surface, it just shifts. It creates a, a difference in, uh, you know, on the ocean floor in volume and boom, it lifts the floor up. And what happens is a massive wave on the surface is created. That's what saying's going on here. That both the spirit and the flesh deep down give rise to something else. So on the surface, on the surface are the works of the flesh. You see them there. They relate to our sexuality. They relate to, relate to areas of worship. Things that sabotage relationships. Things like anger and strife and divisions and envy. Things that relate to substance abuse. Drunkenness. The idea of the orgy there is actually drinking orgies. That's what Paul is getting at. The end result of these, y'all, that those who practice them will not inherit the kingdom 
God that needs to sit with you. Don't try to squirm out from underneath it tonight. Let it sit with you. We're going to come back to it, but it needs to sit with you. Secondly, what does the Spirit produce? Well, you see it there in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the sort of things that the Spirit, that that principle of the Spirit gives rise to. They are the things that those who are led by the Spirit begin to evince in their life. Now, this is very, very important. These are not things, y'all, that we can produce. They are fruits of the Spirit, not of Ryan, you know, not of Anna, not of Alicia, not of Wade. These are things of the Spirit. The best that we can do is sort of promote the conditions for them. And the way that those things get born out in our life is by longing after that which the Spirit longs for, namely Jesus. Okay, end of the second point. Now we're going to get busy on getting practical on some things because I think this is where the most important part of the sermon is to make practical where we're going. I want to give you one, maybe four things to kind of flesh out. Here's the first thing. First of all, this is given to us. Why this matters is to describe what Christian growth looks like. I'm going to come back to growth, but you must see this first. If you came to RUF tonight, and this is your first night here, remember, you have missed ten sermons on Galatians before tonight. And in every single one of those sermons, I have said this, that there is nothing that you can contribute to make Jesus love you. That the Christian salvation is one of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We don't bring our best efforts. We don't bring our worst efforts. We bring nothing to the table to make God love us. It is by grace that He comes to us. And why do I tell you that? Because if you do not keep that in mind, you will miss what I'm trying to say. You see, here's what happens. Our change always comes after God initiates with us. Always. So, first thing I'm trying to drive home, it is to describe what growth looks like. Now, I'm stealing this right out of Tim Keller's book that's on that back table. If you don't have that book, please go buy it tonight. You can buy it, you can take it, take it home with you and read it. And he says four things about Christian growth that are money in the bank. Here they are. First, Christian growth is gradual. Gradual. I'll give you the I'll billboard for you. Gradual, Christian growth is inevitable, Christian growth is organic, and Christian growth is symmetrical. A minute or piece on each one of these. Gradual. We know that he uses a botanical image when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit. Think about something growing. Thinking about an apple on a tree. Now look, an apple does not bloom and come out of its blossom immediately. It happens over time. What does that mean? That means that growth in the Christian life is something that happens over time. Take courage. Because see, I don't know how many of you feel like spiritual failures tonight. Maybe you've been a Christian a while and you're wondering if God's really changing you at all. And I want to tell you this, that that change is often very, very, very slow. You can't see it. You see, if you were to try to 
look at a flowering plant and watch it, you would be watching forever before a bloom came out and then it blossomed. But it does happen. But it happens gradually. Secondly, so that growth is inevitable. In other words, here's what this means. That you will grow. If you are a Christian, you will grow. In fact, Keller notes this. This is of a deep encouragement to you and me. Because, I mean, think about it. God is saying here in His Word, if you have blown it, if you have miffed, if you have screwed things over massively, guess what? God is not finished with you. He does not abandon the project that He begins in His children. So failures are welcome in Christianity. Thirdly, growth is organic. In other words, it is not mechanical. Think about it like this. I can throw bricks onto an already existing brick pile, and that brick pile is going to grow, but that is not organic growth. That is mechanical growth. It's different sort of growth than the growth that happens from the inside out, the growth of an apple on a tree. You see, you and I can tie an apple to a tree, right? But that doesn't mean that that tree is alive. You see what I'm saying? All sort of Christian growth happens from the inside out. And then lastly, growth is symmetrical. Did you notice that it did not say, but the fruits of the Spirit? That's weird. Paul says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. In other words, think about it like you know, a blackberry and how it has all those little balls on it. You know what I mean? It's saying that each one of those things represents some aspect of the entirety of the fruit. You see, so for you to say, yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm doing pretty good in the love department, but the peace department, I suck at. Well, you know, I'm really, really good at being gentle, but self-control, that's not me. I'm way out of control, y'all. Look, the point is, is that growth involves growth in everything. It's one fruit. It is singular with many aspects That's what he wants you to begin to see. Now, this leads me... Hang on tight, because this leads me to a warning. Because Paul himself warns us. Listen, if there is no fruit over time, there is no Spirit. And if there is no Spirit, if you call yourself a Christian... You're deceiving yourselves. Here's what I mean. If you are a Christian, you will grow. And there must be fruit. That's not me saying that. Listen to what Jesus says. A tree is known by its fruit. You see, I caution you. If you are taking the label Christian, and over time there is no fruit in your life, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian. I'm saying this, you have no grounds to point to to say that you actually are. The only way that you can is by the evidence of fruit in your life. That's sobering. It's sobering to me. Because I'm probably like you, love easy, cheap believism. I love easy grace. I can be saved, but I don't have to change. 
And Paul says, watch out. Every Christian will bear forth fruit. Does it make you want to squirm tonight? I know it does me. It's challenging to me. Listen, we're going to go in just a little bit further. He's saying this. If you call yourself a Christian and you regularly find these things being practiced in your life, sexual immorality, idolatry, envy, anger, the list goes on and on and on. Just read with me. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, that is a going on doing, it doesn't mean a one-time thing, that means if you make a regular practice of doing such a things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I know that's not popular for me to say tonight. Like, I'm, I'm aware of that. That's what, that's what Paul is getting at. Okay, now that you feel crushed, okay, now that you feel like a failure, now that you feel like you're going to, you know, you've screwed it royally, let me offer real grace. Look with me at verse 24. He says this, that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. Deep hope is meant for you in that. Here is why. The flesh is dead, y'all. You go, no, it's not, because I went out on Saturday night and I partied my butt off. You go, no, it's not, because I want to have sex with everything that moves. So don't tell me that the flesh is dead, Ryan. I'm saying, well, in one aspect, Paul means this. Paul is saying that it is dead insofar as it has rule or rank or authority of you in your life. Listen, it is dead. You owe it nothing. You owe the flesh absolutely zero. Quit paying it. That's what Paul is getting at. Quit making it your master. It's not. Stop. That's what he's saying this in verse 16. I say walk by the Spirit. And the Greek literally there is, and you cannot gratify the desires of the flesh. It is impossible to do that, he says. That is great hope for you tonight to know that. Here's what I mean. I'm going to sum up here. You do not realize the power that you have in your life because of the Spirit of God that is at work in you. It's like this. I think I've shared this before. My brother in college, we lived together one year. And my brother is a big man. He is, he is about 6'4", and when we were in college, he was about 240 pounds of pure muscle and rock. And he boxed in college. He was super heavyweight, a three-time champ. He was incredibly strong and incredibly in shape. And we lived together one year. He had, uh, I think <laughs> this is ridiculous, he uh, had left, I get pretty picky about stuff, especially with my younger brother, but he had uh, left a sponge, you know those green and yellow sponges, uh, in the middle of that green stuff, he had cleaned out his oatmeal bowl and had left uh, oatmeal chunks in the green thing in the sink, and I was like, what are you doing, man? I live here too, this is my house. Get your butt over here and clean this thing up. And he said, or what? I said, or I'll come over here and unload what's left in this sponge right on your face. Why don't you come do it now? I said, you got to the count of three to get over here. Like, typical big brother. 
And I go, one, two, three. And I walked over there, and I walked right over his face. He's on top of that uh, recliner and just squeezed it out. And all that nasty, sour water and oatmeal went all over his face. And then he stood up. And then he reached back and with Finch Clist drove a straight jab square into my arm that I think put my arm onto the other side of my body. Why do I share that story with you? In that moment, after 20 some odd years, my younger brother realized that he could take me. He realized that he had an incredible power in him that I did not have the upper hand on him any more. Paul is saying this to you and me. The flesh is dead. You owe it nothing. Quit paying it. Quit giving it yourself to it. To do so is only further bondage. It is only further enslavement. There is freedom for you when you give your life away to others when you give your life away, loving and finding and seeing and savoring the beauty of Jesus. That is what real walking with the Spirit looks like for you and for me tonight. How can you know that it's true? Because He says this of you. You have been given the Spirit. Whether you believe it or not, this is what's true of you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray tonight that You would make real these things for us tonight. Would You show us what we have within us, so to speak? That You would encourage those, Lord, who are downcast. That You would confront those, O Lord, Your children that need to be confronted tonight. O Lord, would You give grace to those that have never known You, but need to know You tonight. Lord, would You do this because You're good. We lift it all up in Your name. Amen.